Hello and welcome to Brace. On today's podcast, I'll actually be interviewing Paul on the book that he just finished up, Exceptional Selling, How the Best Connect and Win in High Stakes Sales by Jeff Thull. So, Paul, how did you come across this book? Yeah, thanks for asking. I hate to correct you off the bat, but it is Jeff Tool, and I think he would be oh. if, uh, if we just misnamed him there the whole time. Son of uh, a pronunciation. No worries. Yeah, that'll happen. Uh, I actually came across this book. This was uh, given to me as uh, part of my orientation for a new position that I started earlier this year. Uh, I've been in sales for a little over three years in my professional career, uh, but this year I, I started a new company that does complex selling. Uh, which is a, a different type of sales. And uh, they gave this as kind of the guidebook for how to navigate that landscape, uh, which I have found very helpful. Great. So I guess the, the question of, you know, why do you choose to read it is kind of silly, but uh, I'll ask it anyways. Well, were you were you kind of uh, pushed to read it or is this something you were shown and then you chose to read it? Yeah, it was it was encouraged for me. It wasn't something that they said, we're going to fire you if you don't read it or anything like that. Uh, but they, they did give me the book. So I felt definitely obligated to do it. But immediately when I was getting into it, I saw the value just in, you know, because I'm living this on a day to day basis to specify for our for our listeners in case they're not familiar. Uh, complex sales is a little bit different than any normal sales role that you might be in. Uh, it's also called enterprise selling. And basically what that is, is you're going to be dealing with a lot of levels of an organization and a much longer sales cycle. So you need to get funding for this expenditure. And, and that the magnitude of that cycle is going to be maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe three years in order to get through all the different iterations and uh, involve all the different players that you'll need to. So, for instance, my company sells a proprietary software system that helps hire hazard facilities in preparing for an emergency. Uh, and in order to do that, I have to interact with people from the safety department, from the security department. Uh, I need to connect with IT and get their support. And I need to show the value of the system to middle and upper management. Uh, and quite often, it might even go all the way up to a, a corporate level and, and talk to IT there, talk to safety there, and get finances approval. Uh, from the corporate level. So maybe in order to get through a successful project, I need to connect with 25 or even more people in a company. Um, so obviously that landscape is a little bit different than somebody that you know works at your mom and pop store selling golf clubs, right? That is a, a lot different sales role. So it's really helpful to have a guidebook like this in order to, <laughs> in order to, to navigate those waters. Well, they definitely weren't joking when they said complex sales. It's crazy how many people you have to interact with. We've been putting this podcast together for a while now, and I don't know that I knew the full extent. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't really talk about our professional lives too much. I know you work in a, in a facility that could potentially use our solution, but to get into a little bit of the content of the book, the difference between a, a classic sales approach uh, and what... Jeff here suggests that we take, which is a diagnostic approach to selling. The big difference there is you're working with the customer to really understand and get down to the roots of whatever problem or pain that they're experiencing 
and diagnose that problem and see if the solution that you happen to be providing fits as a solution to their problem. Uh, what is sense? Yeah. What is the alternative to diagnostic? So the alternative to a diagnostic uh, sales approach would be like the conventional sales approach. He has a good table early on in the book that kind of shows the differences in thinking there. So some of that would be uh, in a conventional sales role, you're going to have these as kind of mantras that you're living by, which is all prospects will buy. You never want to take no for an answer. Persistence pays. Uh, a good salesperson can sell anything to anybody. Uh, never walk away when money is on the table. Uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Uh, and, and in the diagnostic mindset, that kind of gets flips, flipped upside down. So the reality is when you're diagnosing a problem with your customers, only certain customers will and should buy. You're going to talk to plenty of people that you think there's a chance that your solution might be right for. And then upon further investigation, it isn't. Um, so always be leaving is kind of the mindset. Always give the customer the room to breathe. And if they reapproach you, then that tells you that there's going to be maybe fruit in this engagement. A good salesperson weeds out poor prospects and focuses on the high gain opportunities. If you don't succeed in finding a pain you can address, try again, but with a different customer. Do you see kind of the, the differences there between conventional and diagnostic? Yeah, the uh, the differences make sense. I mean, I was four years running the gold card salesman for my football team. So my, I, I was pretty good at sales. Uh, okay. I, I sold like 100 gold cards for 10 bucks a pop. And I really, I really, bucks. All yeah, right. really yeah, door to door salesman. Uh, so this is definitely a lot more complex than I'm familiar with in sales. But what, what did this book really teach you? Well, it, it taught me a lot, and it really is just uh, changing the mindset. I, Like I said, I've been a professional in the sales world for over three years, and in that time, even in that short time, I was able to develop a lot of those habits of the conventional cycle, in part because that's what I was taught and trained on in uh, a previous job, but also because the mantras are so deeply ingrained in like society even when you think about the the stereotypes of salespeople, all of those stereotypes of salespeople have to do with the conventional thinking of salespeople, right? They're, they don't want, you don't assume that the salesperson is going to take no for an answer because they don't want to take no for an answer. They want to sell you. They want to be closing you all the time. Uh, and so the biggest takeaway for me is, is a mindset shift that says, always be building credibility, always be being truthful in the situation, right? So if you even in the very first contact with a customer, I think in, in the book somewhere, I don't have the exact page here, but he tells you to, to think like a lawyer when you're first contacting the customer. And really what you're trying to do is, is dig a little bit down to the bottom and understand whether or not there's any reason to continue. And if there is good reasons to not continue, then move on. And, and that is just a, a completely shift from the mindset of, if you can find any value that they might be able to get out of your system, then sell on that value super hard, right? Um, so th there's a big difference there. Uh, one of the things that he shows us uh, pretty early on in the book as well is the upward reinforcement cycle of credibility. And that's if you have insight that is relevant to the customer about the problem, 
that gets you credibility. Uh, and because you brought that stuff up, that gains you trust and will give you access to another level of information that you probably wouldn't have already. So I'd say that's that's actually the hardest part of my job is getting that first amount of insight in the conversation so that they can see that I'm an expert in the field and they give me a little bit of credibility and that earns me a little bit of trust that then we can continue the conversation to diagnose and find out if it's worth continuing down the path. So, so Paul, real quick, uh, kind of the interlude in your takeaways, is it similar, the, the difference being that you kind of, almost like law, right? We want 10 guilty men to go free uh, just so that one innocent man doesn't go in. And what I mean by that is you're fine with letting 10 people go if your solution is not for them in order to allow that, you know, that one person that actually needs your solution or could could find value in it. Do you see where my analogy? Yes, and and just, it's it's very accurate, but the the even more mindset shift, it's not that we're willing to let those 10 go, it's that if we don't let those 10 go, we're wasting our own resources, right? Because at the end of the day, they're going to reach a point that stops the project from moving forward anyways because we don't have the right solution to their problem. So when you have the mindset of always be diagnosing, you're taking every step of the path and saying, does it still make sense for us to continue down here or is this a good exit? Does that answer your question? Yeah. Is the distinction made between, you know, ABC always be closing and ABD always be diagnosing? Absolutely. And yes, uh, there, we, uh, in my company, in the sales team, have some jokes about the always be closing because that is the exact stereotypical salesperson. And that is not what we want to be doing. Yeah. We're, we're always um, qualifying. We, uh, ABQ, it's always be qualifying for us because we always want to be clarifying that the person that we're engaged with isn't wasting our time and we're not wasting their time, right? Otherwise, we're wasting resources for two companies that don't need to be wasting resources. So that's the that's the big difference. And I don't think that it's laid out exactly like that here. But actually, it, it's a little bit of a, a good segue here. One of the most awesome takeaways, I highlighted the entire segment here, and I'm going to read it for you. He gives a lot of good actual examples of how to make like calls in different phases of the cycle. So when he's reaching out to a possible prospect that he hasn't engaged with in the past, and he's reaching out to the top of the organization, he says, be open, be honest, and be straightforward. And so this is the uh, example of how he would open. Joss, I'm Wayne Stanley with Six Sigma Software. And I'm not sure if it's appropriate that we should be talking, but I'd like to run what I'm trying to do by you and see if you can decide if it makes sense and if you might be able to help me or not. Do you have a moment to speak? And then when they say yes, we work with companies like yours in the area of process manufacturing, and I'm thinking about calling your vice president of manufacturing about our software. Typically, before I do that, I like to talk to a few quality control people like yourself in the organization to see if you're encountering any of the issues or difficulties that we work with customers to address. That will help me determine if it might make sense for us to speak with your management about the issue. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions and see if there might be some application here. So you see how in that, and I was wrong, I, I said he was reaching out to the, the CEO. That happens later on. I just opened to, the, to a different page. He's reaching out to a quality person that has no idea what the software is that he's selling, 
but he gives him all the background that's necessary to understand why he's going to ask the questions he's about to ask. And he can quickly in this conversation, find out from this guy, if, if this guy's willing to just answer a couple of questions for him, he might find out that his solution is completely superfluous. They have already solved for that problem. They have no need for it. So by getting that credibility and that understanding of this is who I am, this is why I'm calling being open, honest, and straightforward you're able to get that initial credibility, like I talked about, that earns you that trust and then allows you that initial insight. Um, so that was really powerful for me in, in reading that. And, and it actually helped me kind of reframe how I start new conversations with prospects. I was just about to say, have you used the teachings in this book in your job day to day? 100%. Oh, yeah. All the time. Well, uh, tell, and- me, tell me more about some of those, some of those items. Well, here's here's another example, taking it a little bit further. Uh, He tells us in the book, quality diagnosis requires an expert. So like I said, I I am an expert in my field. I've only been in the industry 11 months so far. So I'm a new expert, but it's what I do every single day. So while the rest of your competition is talking about their solutions and the success they've generated for other customers, you will be leading the diagnosis, asking questions, identifying symptoms, servicing critical issues, demonstrating your business savvy, and opening customers' eyes to their current reality. So I was doing this already. It wasn't as focal to my day-to-day work. Now, when I get a prospect on the line and we get through that initial understanding of each other so that they give me permission to then ask those future questions. I'm, I'm really focused on establishing myself as an expert in the diagnostic field and, and diagnosing what they have right now and trying to understand and, and dig down to the bottom of it so that I can say at the end when we've done the diagnosis, so this is the reality you're dealing with, right? And they can affirm and say, yes, that is, the, that is what I'm dealing with right now. And I can say, okay. Do you have everything you need in order to solve these problems or are these problems painful enough for you to actually try to solve them right now? And that's that's where uh, the, the best conversations come from, because sometimes they'll be very honest and say, you know, I, I'm dealing with a lot of other pain in other areas right now. And this would be about sixth on my list. And I say, OK, give me a call when when that moves up your list. I find it very intriguing that this seems similar to the seven habits of highly effective people and habit six sorry habit five seek first to understand then to be understood yeah it it seems it seems like it's really putting that into effect in i guess a more example focused way that's an awesome analogy that I'm sad I didn't think of myself, but good for you for making that connection because absolutely it is. And that is actually something that he talks about in the traditional method, the conventional, excuse me, method of selling would be get someone on the line that you think could use your, whatever you're selling, your product, and then get their permission to present. And then you you get into presentation mode as soon as possible. And then after your presentation, you say, so what do you think? And they go, well, looked great. And then you walk away thinking that you've done your job. When in reality, uh, it's like a doctor, you know, when, when someone walks in and is 
50 pounds overweight, just automatically writing a prescription for the, the weight loss drug. And it's like, well, you didn't do the diagnosis to actually look at what's happening underneath to cause these things. Cause maybe something other than a drug is the right answer. Uh, and, and yes, a hundred percent. So, so my job for the most part is seeking first to understand for the first 80% of the sales cycle. And then the last 20% is me saying, okay, and this is what we have to offer right now. Um, that's, that's an awesome analogy, Tommy. Yeah. I just, as you were, you were telling me about this, I was thinking it sounded very similar. And I, I pulled seven habits off my bookshelf and wanted to, I, I, you know, flip through it real quick and it sounded so similar, but I had to, I had to find the exact habit, habit five, seek first to understand and then to be understood. So Paul, what other, you know, final takeaways do you have from this book? One of the ones uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave two with our listeners here. The, The one is, um, traditionally the salespeople do whatever it takes to win the sale. And a lot of the times that means not protecting your own self-esteem. Yeah, one of the things that's most important, and, and I'll leave you with the two here, is you must always protect both yours and the customer's self-esteem. And as a salesperson, you're, you're kind of trained to not worry about your own self-esteem. You do whatever it takes to win the sale. But at the end of the day, if you end up compromising that, you're undermining your own credibility because they recognize that in you, the, the customer will. Uh, and so you end up with someone that doesn't really trust you because they see you're kind of selling out yourself in order to do whatever it takes to move the the sale forward. Um, so that that was something that definitely I noticed was a, a habit that had stayed with me through my, my previous sales roles as, you know, we're going to do what it takes to win the sale, even if you're not respecting me directly as a professional. And that's been something that's been an, an awesome takeaway and it has been really easy actually to apply is like we're equals in this no matter if I'm talking to the entry level safety person or the CFO. We're both professionals. We're both trying to do our job and we both have something to earn in this situation. I am providing value for you. You are providing value for me. Um, so just kind of recognizing that reciprocity and respecting it was was super important. And then the... The last thing would be uh, just being able to not just in the introduction, being open and honest and straightforward, but at all points throughout it. So one of the other ones that kind of stuck out to me that I highlighted as I was reading it was ask the unasked questions. So one of the unasked questions that he suggests is, could you bring me up to date with some of the things you have worked on to resolve this situation prior to now? So just straight up asking hey, what else have you looked at to solve this problem? Have you dedicated resources to solve this problem in the past? What did that come up with? Uh, Because I think a lot of sales people are often a little bit scared to ask that question because, oh, you know, we don't want to bring up the past. We want to pretend like we invented the wheel and we're the only people selling a wheel here. So you better buy our wheel when really, you know, every market has competition. So have you engaged with that competition? What were the shortcomings? Because if they did engage and get a certain point through the sales cycle and then not go through with the project. Why? I don't want to fall into that same pitfall. So being able to ask that question is, is really big. Um, and yeah, I would say those are, those are the biggest takeaways for me. Uh, and there are a lot more, like I said, it's a, it's a really high quality book that has been uh, effective in changing how I do my job on a day to day basis. So I don't know, what our listeners do for a living, but I'm curious, do you, do 
you recommend this book for anybody? Are there things anybody can learn or would you only recommend this to people in your industry? It's a great question. Not just in my industry. Uh, I would say anybody that's working with corporations uh, on a sales basis that's selling something that's more than, you know, 10, 20, $30,000, where when you're going to have to engage with multiple stakeholders and understand the landscape of that whole process, that's where all most of the value can, can be had. That being said, I, I wouldn't just limit it to those types of salespeople. I would say anybody really in sales and marketing can read about this and understand how the diagnostic mindset works and get a lot even in your day-to-day -day job. I used, you know, selling golf clubs earlier. I, I happened to go to the range earlier. That's what's on my mind. But if you are doing that and you have someone walk in and say, you know, I'm looking for a new set of irons. Don't just say, here's the most expensive or here's the cheapest ones. What do you want? Take a step back and try to have that diagnostic mindset with them and say, well, why are you in the market for a new set of irons? What's what's going on? And, and kind of see if you can understand the problems they're dealing with that clearly have initiated that pain point and take that diagnostic mindset with you. Because that was actually really, you know, when I got into sales, that was the the reasoning for it. I Like we talked about, I have a background in, in biomedical engineering out of college, but part of the way through college, I realized I really wanted to you know, engineering does sol solve problems, but I wanted to work directly with people to solve problems. And I didn't realize I was thinking it at the time, but what I said, what I was actually thinking was, I wanna be able to help people diagnose the issue. And a lot of the times I might actually be able to have the solution, make a little money on top of it. So yes, I recommend this book for anybody in those two professions. Uh, and if you are just in business and want to have a sales acumen, if you're a CEO, an entrepreneur, anything like that, highly recommend it. All right, Paul. Well, that seems like a very entertaining book. <laughs> I, I I don't know that I'll be picking it up soon for <laughs> the sole reason that I'm not in a sales position. However, a lot of what you talked about seems like it could be good in building relationships, relationships, building trust with others, working with people to solve problems. Yep. And and maybe it is solely for the sales environment, but it sounds to me that a lot of people could use the ideas uh, just framed in a different way. Well, and when you put it like that, it kind of sparks my imagination, right? I mean, if you have a family member or friend that's going through a personal issue and, and instead of kind of just trying to offer the solutions that have worked for you right away, if you take the time and say, let's sit down, talk it through and and make sure that I'm understanding what's going on and and kind of ask those questions and, and clarify down. And one of the other things he says is don't let ambiguous terms remain. So if someone says, oh, you know, that's a big problem. All right, what do you mean by big problem? You need to define that better because people can say big problem and, and it means a lot of different things. So being able to have that mindset, even in your personal relationships, I think you're right, could, could have a lot of value. Well, Paul, I appreciate it. Thank you for spending this time reviewing the book. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, just uh, one last thing, listeners, if you can give us a like, give us a follow on uh, both our Instagram and hopefully some Twitter and Facebook coming soon, uh, we would truly appreciate it. Any feedback you'd like to give us on uh, this new format where we're 
we're not both reading the same book, but we're interviewing one another. Give us some feedback. Let us know if you guys like this, if you want us to continue doing it, uh, and possibly some other questions you might want to know when reviewing a book. We very much appreciate the listen. Share it with somebody if, if you have a salesperson in your life or somebody that you think could get some value out of it. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening to this Brace podcast. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at Paul from Brace. And be sure to email us at brace22 at protonmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks. We appreciate it.